0: Hello, and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we cover everything we can about U.S. soccer, Americans in Europe, major league soccer, and many other exciting topics. Not only that, but we also enjoy a nice pint or two during these chats. So pour yourself a beverage, if you're of age, of course, and let's get into it. Last week, we took a look at our roster choices for our September friendlies, went through what to expect out of those matches, and answered a few questions that had come in during the past couple of weeks. This week, it's all about recapping the performances from those friendlies, who stood out, who didn't, but more importantly, looking at how the squad responded with Greg Berhalter back in command. There's a lot to unpack from the two matches, but we will also look at what's ahead next month as we have a bit stiffer competition coming up with Germany and Ghana coming to the U.S. for two more friendlies. I will wrap things up today with some final thoughts of the week as well and encourage anyone that has a question, comment, argument, or anything else that they want to discuss to send me a message and we can talk about it. I can assure you by the end of this episode, there will be a few of you who won't see eye to eye with me. So prepare yourself. But first, it wouldn't be right to start off an episode without sharing the beer feature this week. And with September 16th being the official start of Oktoberfest in Germany. I thought it was only proper to have a brewery who focuses on traditional brewing methods. And since I will be in Charlotte this weekend to see Charlotte FC and DC United in action, I figured, why not go for the oldest brewery in Charlotte? So, this week, we have Old Mecklenburg Brewery. And what I have in my pint glass today is their Oktoberfest beer. This is a Marzen-style amber lager and is an original Oktoberfest beer. Rich, malty, and super smooth from the Munich malt noble hops, and a yeast strain from the oldest brewery in the world. This is 5.4% in alcohol, and it's a two-time gold European star winner and a silver Great American Beer Fest medalist. By now, you all know I prefer my IPAs and the higher ABV beverages, but what I really appreciate and love about Old Mac is their commitment to fresh, pure, premium quality beer. They strictly follow the world's oldest beer purity law the renowned German Reinheitskabau, which states that beer should only contain four ingredients, water, malt, hops, and yeast. Their brewing practice never compromises on quality. You won't find cheap ingredients, artificial flavors, or added colors here. As Charlotte's oldest brewery, opening back in 2009, Old Mech has become a favorite in the city and for visitors alike. They've got a huge beer garden area outside, a traditional German style setup inside, They are dog-friendly, kid-friendly. They have so many different events and clubs. They have live music regularly. It's just a perfect spot to go to with great beer. And if you are looking for traditional German food, you will find it here as well with a wide selection of pretzels, bratwurst, schnitzel, you name it. It's all excellent. So if you aren't able to celebrate Oktoberfest in Germany this year, get to Charlotte, get to Old Mecklenburg, and enjoy yourself. You won't be disappointed. They've got their first weekend of their Mechtoberfest beer festival starting Friday the 15th through Sunday the 17th. So, if you are in the area like I will be, head on over and check them out. Thank you to Old Mech for being this week's beer feature. Cheers. All right. Well, into today's conversation we go recapping our two friendlies for our U.S. men's national team against Uzbekistan and Oman, Two countries we had no knowledge about, really, coming into these matches. Expectations were high. I made a few predictions last week, saying I thought the standouts would be Tim Weah, Christian Pulisic, and Ballo. I said defensively I thought we would be solid. But the friendlies were really all about our attacking group. Getting goals, building confidence, and learning how to work together in the future. I even said I thought the scores for the matches would be 3-0 and 4-0. You can go back and listen to last week's episode if you don't believe me. Being the humble guy that I am, I won't remind everybody that I got both predictions absolutely spot on. But last Saturday, the U.S. beat Uzbekistan by the score of 3-0. And then on Tuesday of this week, the U.S. beat Oman 4-0. Nobody could have predicted that. So let's talk about this first matchup against Uzbekistan, who I will add surprised me a lot with their ability. The score line may have ended 3-0, but the performance was anything but that. It started so well. The U.S. immediately playing on the front foot, looking like the team we always want to see. Again, being the humble guy I am, last week I said I thought Tim Weah would be a standout. I even featured his photo for last week's episode release. And after four minutes, he puts the U.S. up 1-0 after being set up by a magnificent first touch and layoff by Weston McKinney. The U.S. kept pushing forward and nearly doubled the lead when Ballo headed one off the post about 10 minutes after Wade's opener. But after that, there was a dynamic shift in play. Uzbekistan took over. Some people pointed out that once Luca De La Torre went off due to a broken nose in the 35th minute, that's when it changed. But I beg to differ. It happened sooner than that. The U.S. just sort of fell apart on their own. Careless passes. Complacent movement. The U.S. just had this body language that reeked of I'm so much better than you, I don't need to work as hard. There was no more creativity. It looked as though the U.S. were only trying to play one way through and give Uzbekistan credit. They were the better side for most of the night. And for all of you still saying we should have dominated them and beaten them by a larger margin, I'll point out that Uzbekistan drew with Mexico 3-3 on Tuesday night. They were much better than we anticipated. After halftime, Greg made one change in bringing on Pepe, for Ballo, which was planned in advance. Tanner Testman had already come on for De La Torre in the first half, which obviously wasn't planned. We also brought on Mark McKenzie, Brendan Aronson, Malik Tillman, and we gave a, gr- a debut to Christopher Lund later in the second half. It wasn't until the first minute of extra time that Pepe took a pass from Aronson and doubled the lead for the U.S. And then three minutes later, Tillman was fouled in the box, which gave Pulisic a penalty to give the U.S. a 3-0 victory. All in all, it was a disappointing win in my opinion. A lot of people's opinion. It was just sloppy. It looked like the guys turned off midway through the first half, and they really struggled to get back into the match. Outside of Matt Turner, who was incredible in goal again. He was threatened multiple times. He came up big each time. I took a few notes during the match, and it was just, again, really, really sloppy play. It looked as though a lot of our guys thought that they were just so much better than they actually were, and I hate to say that. but. It was just really lackadaisical and flat. My biggest takeaway was that I thought this entire group needs to get a good ass beating or two so that they can get brought back down to earth. Just too much prima donna type of stuff out there. And I don't mean to discredit Uzbekistan again completely, but in reality, we should have won comfortably without a real threat or challenge. And this match was anything but that, even if the scoreline showed otherwise. Those two late goals really cloud the performance overall. But as I always say, a win is a win. It wasn't pretty, but post-game, it was pretty obvious that it was a disappointment. In the post-match press conference, Greg singled out Turner, which was clear and obvious. He mentioned bringing on Lund, which helped in the attack in the final 10 minutes as well. He said they would need to use this game as a learning tool. No kidding. And then he made a comment that I had to look up. He boasted that Uzbekistan had only given up six goals all of last year and that he was happy that we had put three past them since they're such a dominant defensive team. So let's take a look. In 2022, Uzbekistan played all of three matches. They beat Sri Lanka 3-0. They beat the Maldives 4-0. They beat Thailand 2-0. That's it. They played two friendlies against Bolivia and Venezuela in March of this year. They gave up one goal in each of those ma- or in one of those matches in June of 2021 they lost 3-0 to Saudi Arabia not exactly world class opponents and also nowhere even closely accurate to giving up six goals they don't play many matches and Greg trying to throw that tidbit out there was pretty ignorant when the US scored our final two goals of the match I'll add Uzbekistan was playing down a man due to injury but Greg left that part out maybe he was trying to find some sort of positive from the match, since they were few and far between. But it was just a weird comment to make. However, I was called on during the press conference and was able to ask Greg a question, which was a first for Soccer Pines. I had thought about that moment all summer. I absolutely wanted to ask him a question or just make a statement about how unhappy fans are with his return to a coach. But I didn't. I decided to ask him more of an analytical question to see how he would respond. Essentially, I asked Greg to give us a coaching perspective on his in-game adjustments. I had noticed that him and assistant BJ Callahan were looking at a laptop on the sidelines multiple times. So I wanted to see, what was he looking at in those moments? And I asked him to give me one example of how he used that data to make an adjustment. Honestly, it's not a difficult question to answer. But basically he said he was only looking at videos of play and not data or notes or anything like that. Then he said he noticed the Uzbekistan center mid was playing more aggressive in the middle of the field, and that Musa and De La Torre were too close together, so we had to space them out to open that up more. That was it. That was his in-game tactical adjustment. You all know my thoughts on Greg, and in that moment, I just laughed inside a bit. I know he can't give away too much strategically, but of everything in that match, that is what you single out. It was pretty elementary. I was hoping he would say he noticed their formation wasn't working in our favor, so for the final 15 to 20 minutes, he moved from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1 formation, uh, which opened up more space out wide and led to the final two goals. That would have shown a little bit of genius in his coaching ability, however, he went with telling Musa and Luca to spread out a little. Well done, Greg. On to the second match against Oman and talk about a night and day difference from Saturday to Tuesday. In a result that nobody could have accurately predicted, right? The U.S. beat Oman 4-0 to cap off their September window. And what I will say is this team played with high intensity from the first whistle. They had great spacing. They played with great pace. They played for one another. You could see the commitment To the match. Passing was purposeful with intent, just overall a really sharp performance for the entire 90 minutes. In the first match, we saw Turner starting goal with Jedi Robinson, Tim Ream, Chris Richards, and Serginho Dest in defense with Musa, McKinney, and Luca in the midfield and Pulisic Ballo and way up top. But for this match, Turner had to fly back to England to be with his wife as they are expecting to welcome their second child any day. Luca with a broken nose would also sit this one out. And Joe Scally, who did not feature against Uzbekistan, had to leave camp due to family reasons, which apparently is a death in the family. So, super unfortunate for Joe. But Greg made a few changes and brought in Dewan Jones from the New England Revolution for additional backup support. Ethan Horvath got the starting goal. Lund made his first start for the U.S. national team on the left side with Miles Robinson coming in, Richards and Des rounding out the defense. McKinney, Musa, and then Tillman took on the midfield roles with the same three up top in Pulisic, Ballo, and Wey. Once again, the U.S. went ahead early in the 13th minute after McKinney played a perfect diagonal ball to Weya, who laid off to an unru- un- on-rushing Dest. Dest cracked one on frame, and the rebound off the goalkeeper fell right to Ballo, who made no mistake about it for the 1-0 lead. Despite the pressure... From the U.S., that's the way the first half ended. It was the best half of soccer I've seen out of this side in a long time. McKinney was masterful in everything that he did. I'll touch on this later, but he looked irreplaceable on the pitch. He was perfect. Chris Richards was as solid as he could be. Tillman looked incredibly confident in his 10-roll. Wade looked so dangerous on the wing. Musa just keeps gliding past defenders out there. The only thing I would say needed improvement was our ability to find Ballo behind the defense. He made countless runs off the ball to put himself in a great position, and we never found him. If we get that part figured out, along with Weahs' speed and his own runs off the ball, this team's going to be nearly unstoppable to defend against. It's going to be impossible. Aronson and Pepe came on after half for Pulisic and Ballo, respectively, in another planned substitution. Aronson won a free kick about 25 yards out uh, from goal in the 60th minute. And Oman, the Oman wall absolutely failed them as Aronson's kick went right through into the back of the net for a 2-0 lead. It was a confidence-building type of goal for Aronson after enduring such a disappointing year with Leeds United. With about 20 minutes to go, Greg brought on another debutant in Benjamin Kramashi as well as McKenzie again. After five minutes after the uh, after that, he brought on Jones as well. That was followed by another goal by Pepe, who really took his chance as well this camp. And specifically with this goal, a quick touch, turn, rifle to shot into goal. Greg then made his final change a minute later when he brought on the third player this window to make his U.S. debut. With Kevin Paredes coming on for Weah, Paredes immediately... Made an impact with his first touch as he raced down the right flank, squared a pass into the box, which was put into the net by a defender for an own goal to finish with a 4-0 scoreline. I have nothing negative to take away from this match. It was all positive. The response from the performance on Saturday was magnificent. They did exactly what they needed to do. They played extremely well, and wrapping up camp in this fashion was all that you could hope for. At the beginning of today's episode, I said there would be a few of you who wouldn't see eye-to-eye with me, and here's why. I thought Greg Berhalter managed this match to perfection. He made the right adjustments. He clearly made an impact on the players after the Uzbekistan performance. His strategy and game plan was on point. If, and again, this is a huge if, if the squad responds to Greg's leadership and it play like this every single time they're called in, Greg's going to go down as the best coach to ever manage this national team. Maybe he's got the best players currently in camp and in his player pool than anyone's ever had. But I went into this post-match press conference without a single question that I could ask to Greg that would display any sort of doubt in his ability to manage this team. Instead, it was all positive. And unfortunately and probably due to my question after the Uzbekistan match, I wasn't called on to ask a question during the post-Oman press conference. Had I been asked, it would have been around Greg's high rate of giving debuts to players and what those moments mean to him. You know, something to show Greg has a heart and can be genuine and authentic in a response rather than his usual canned responses. He's given 59 players their first appearance with the national side since he took over back in 2019 in 62 matches. That is third most to Bruce Arena and only one behind Bob Bradley's 60 debuts that he gave out in his 80 matches in charge. Overall, from these two matches, I thought we saw a lot of ugly in the first match and clearly put that behind us and we played to near perfection in the second match. I liked what I saw out of our usual guys. McKinney was a standout for me. I thought Tillman looked solid as well. I also really liked Lund at left back. I thought he was dynamic. He seemed to really enjoy himself getting integrated into the squad very well. That can be hard to do when you don't have much familiarity with one another, but everyone had positives. I can't pick off any one person who didn't take their opportunity. Everyone seemed to have a positive camp. And yes, all in all, even Greg did. It doesn't mean I'm a Greg fan, but I will give credit when credit is due I'll also chalk this up to the types of opponents that we played against next month against Germany and Ghana. Those are going to be battles against two teams in the top 25 in the world. That's where we're going to see the true test to see if we are really heading in the right direction or not, or if we get an ass beating, like I mentioned, we need it. We won't be able to afford having a poor performance like we did against Uzbekistan in those matches, which leads me into my final thoughts of the week. And the one I want to connect on right away is what we might see for those October friendlies. Greg's just brought in 23, 24, 25 guys for September. It was a strong squad. Sure, we gave some debuts to Paredes, Lund, and Kramashi. We also had Cade Cowell on the bench who didn't feature in either match. I can see Lund being back in the squad as the backup left back to Jedi Robinson. But Greg has a situation on his hands. And personally, I can't wait to see it play out. I've talked about it before, but when our full squad is healthy and available for selection, which is never, what is Greg going to do? Who is going to sit the bench? Who is not going to be called in? We know Greg has to have a sit-down talk with Gio Reyna in the coming days or weeks. Gio is too good when he's healthy not to be in the team. He's back fully training with Dortmund, so if all goes well, Gio's going to be in October camp. Tyler Adams. Another one who missed due to injury, he could be there. You also have McKinney, who I mentioned earlier, looked irreplaceable against Oman. His passing was precise. His work rate was excellent. He was creating all across the pitch. You have Musa, who also has looked absolutely as solid as they come. His ability to defend and accelerate when he has the ball is unlike anyone we have in this team. So what does Greg do here? McKinney, Musa, Gio, Adams. Tillman and Luca look good in there too, albeit they are backup depth guys. Who is sitting out of the main four? I see people declaring Gio is the best player that the U.S. men's national team has. I'm not arguing that he's not, but until he is healthy and fit, I'm not willing to declare that. Do I think he has to start when he is healthy and fit? 100%. Do I think the other three need to start too? Yes. Geo gives us an option in a ten roll that nobody else offers us. His ability to create, to take away defenders who might position themselves closer to a Ballo or Wea or Pulisic, is something that can't be overlooked. It opens up so many more opportunities, which we typically lack in the final third of the pitch. I don't envy the decisions Greg has to make in this near future. Then you look up top. Pulisic and Weah aren't going anywhere. Might as well write their name in ink on the starting lineup. Ballo has two goals in four matches with the national team. He's been hyped up as the star striker that we've so desperately been missing. Ricardo Pepe now has six goals in his last six matches with the national team. He's playing with so much confidence, keeps making the impact when he's on the pitch. There is not a scenario where both Ballo and Pepe can be on the field at the same time. There are too many great players for too few of spots, which means we're in a great spot. It's inevitable that someone won't be healthy when October comes around, but I'm really interested in seeing what the decisions made will be. Can Greg even clear up the situation with Gio before then? Who knows? All right, on to my next thought of the week. Has anyone been paying attention to what is going on with the New England Revolution recently. Six weeks ago, they placed one of the all-time greatest coaches in U.S. soccer history on administrative leave after insensitive and inappropriate remarks were made. Now, this past Saturday, Bruce Arena officially resigned as head coach of the Revolution, putting Richie Williams in as interim head coach. We don't know what actually happened, what was actually said. The Revolution players don't know either. MLS hasn't given any indication or details. Bruce only said he made some mistakes and moving forward, he would take corrective steps. But outside of that, we don't know much about the situation. We know Williams has been a longtime arena mentee. He also played for Bruce at UVA. Bruce also handed him 20 plus appearances when he was national team head coach. But according to The Athletic, they reported that complaints were filed against Arena by Williams. Team staffers, coaches of Arena staff, all took to support him publicly. On Tuesday, Revolution Team President Brian Bellello met with players who understandably wanted answers. Williams said he couldn't comment, which I understand. Other coaches also said the same. The players then refused to train, apparently. So, with no trust in Williams there, late Tuesday night, the Revolution announced that assistants Shalry Joseph and Dave Vandenberg, who both publicly supported Arena, had parted with the club, and Clint Paya was now promoted to interim head coach, but not a single mention about Williams in that release. It's just a bizarre situation. Situation without a lot of information or answers, but I can tell you this. Something soon is going to come out about it. I can't wait to hear about it. But what I'll also say about Bruce Arena, I've met him a few times. I've been fortunate enough to train with him as as lead staff member when I was younger. He's a fantastic individual. I can't believe something like this has happened. That's why I'm curious. But I'll support Bruce. Great coach. Loved him as national team manager. Loved him early on in my career. So hopefully it's something positive. All right, on to the final thought of the week, and I'll keep it short and sweet. The U.S. Women's National Team announced their roster selections for their upcoming friendlies next week against South Africa. On the roster includes two soon-to-be retired players of the squad in Megan Rapino and Julie Ertz. I am all for respecting players and their achievements and retirements. And again, we might not see eye-to-eye on this. However, my thought is this. And feel free to disagree with me on it. I don't really care. I think retirement send-off games are absolutely worthless. There is no need to bring them in for a final game. They had their final game at the World Cup. Why do we need to call a player in to give them one last match? Why not bring them out pre-game or at halftime and just celebrate their careers? Why waste a roster spot on someone like this just to let them jog around and play one last time? It's stupid. I don't care who it is. It doesn't help the program. It doesn't help the players around them. It doesn't help the coaching staff. It's a waste of time. So thank you both for your time and the impact that you've had within the women's national team and U.S. soccer in general. But we do not need this. All right. That's it for today's episode. Always awesome to get to watch and recap our U.S. men's national team performances. Even better. When I get my predictions correct, we saw some ugliness against Uzbekistan and some near perfection against Oman. It's about continuing to build continuity within the squad, learning from each time we get to work together and building for the future. Germany and Ghana are going to present different tests and challenges, but our guys are going to be ready when that time comes, I believe it. Again, if you have a question for the show or would like a specific topic to be discussed on the show, or if you disagree with a lot of things that I said today, please send me a message on Instagram or email me directly at will.clark at Big time thanks again to Old Mecklenburg Brewery for being our beer feature this week. Until next time, cheers, my friends.